Amen. You can be seated. Today, as we study this passage, Luke 1, 67 through 80, as we walk through these verses, we see a, a picture, the, the, the portrait of God being kind of completed in this idea that he's, he's powerful, he's sovereign, his hand is on us, he, he is the source of our joy, he is the one worthy of worship, and he is the mighty God who saves. He has come to save his people. That's the whole theme of, the, of this passage that we're going to study today. We're going to be reading 67 through 80. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. We're going to be referencing it over and over. It's a long passage, but I would encourage you to be able to just jot down notes or underline things to have your finger there ready to go. Uh, as, as you get ready, let me just build out some context because it's truly a passage that's connected immediately to the context. It's not a separate event. Um, John the Baptist, you, we, we studied this last week, John the Baptist has been born. He's now with, with, with his family. And so if you remember the story, his father, Zachariah, his mother, Elizabeth, they couldn't get pregnant. They were really old, uh, and they couldn't, had never had kids, never been able to get pregnant. And, and God, in this miraculous and prophecy-fulfilling way, promises them a, a child, a, a son to be born. Zachariah was in the temple doing his priestly duty, and an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, your, your, your wife Elizabeth is going to get pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son. And Zechariah is like, yeah, prove it to me. Show, prove, you know, where, where's my sign? Give me, give me a sign. And, and, and Gabriel's like, I'm your sign. I'm here telling you. And since you didn't believe me, well, here's another sign, but not the sign you're wanting, a sign of God's power, and boom, you're mute. You can't speak. And so for nine months, he's He's out, I mean, he, he can't say a word. And in the context, in the text, it's possible that he not only couldn't speak, but he couldn't hear. We're not exactly sure, but we definitely know he was struck me. He couldn't say a word. So just as, a, as an aside, this really has nothing to do with the sermon. The next time you're, you're feeling called of God to do something, and you're sensing his power and presence in your life, and you're asking for a sign, remember this story. You, you might get a sign. <laughs> but it might not be the sign you want. It might just be best to go ahead and trust him now, right? So, so here is Zechariah, not trusting, not disbelieving, and, and God is working. He gets home. They, they are together, Zechariah and Elizabeth do their part. God does his part. John the Baptist is conceived, and they come to the point, this passage that we studied last week, John the Baptist is born. This great and momentous occasion. Everybody loves a baby being born. Nobody, nobody goes to the hospital and gets mad because the baby's born, right? We're all excited and celebrating, and that's exactly what was happening with John the Baptist and his family. In fact, friends and neighbors come to celebrate on the eighth day, the day of his circumcision, and they are so excited because they've, this, this family who's been barren for so long has had this baby. They're like, you need to name him Zachariah. And Elizabeth says, no. And she firmly says, no. And they're like, yes. And she's like, no, not going to happen. He's, his name is John. And, and they don't get any headway with her. So they start talking to, the, to, to Zechariah. And, and, and the truth is they're making signs at him. And they're like trying to convince him to name this baby Zechariah after his dad. And, and he says, well, he doesn't say it because obviously he still can't speak. He signs to them, get me something to write on. Maybe he does like this, you know, and they, they bring him something to write on. And and, and he writes, his name is John. He's already got a name. God gave him a name. At his announcement, he was given a name. His name is John. And the text tells us that as soon as that happened, immediately it says, his, his 
mouth was open and his tongue was loosed. And he began to bless God. His last words, words of disbelief, words of doubt, and, and not knowing that God was powerful enough to do what he said he was going to do. And he's, and he's silenced in that. And he's struck mute and he can't say a word. And now, now he sees it unfolding in front of him. And he sees his wife, he goes home, and, and he does his part, and Elizabeth does her part, and God does his part, and Elizabeth gets pregnant. And he's like, whoa, I mean, she's really got, she got pregnant. I wish I could tell somebody about it. Then she gives birth, and it's a boy. That's what the angel told me. I, I just imagine the thoughts, because he's not telling anybody, just imagine the thoughts. The angel told me, I'm going I'm to have a son. It's a boy. Who, it's not like they found that out, you know, 16 weeks in at the ultrasound appointment. They didn't, they didn't know. He's waiting, and he comes here. Nine months later, she gives birth, and Zechariah, you're a dad, and it's a boy. And I, and I can just imagine his heart soars. You know, he's so excited. He sees the, the fulfillment again of this prophetic announcement by the angel Gabriel. What is he going to do but name him John? And he's, he, he gives him the name John. And in obedience, God shows up in response to that obedient effort and gives him his speech back. And he begins to praise. He blesses God. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, you're not going to believe how difficult it was to be silent for nine months. I've been wanting to tell you what's going on. And I just think you need to know. And I've got all kinds of things that have been storing up. And by the way, you remember last week when you upset me. Hey, let me remind you. He didn't give them that. He didn't talk about his own, his own difficulty, his own struggle. He didn't look at God and say, God, why'd you do that? Wouldn't it have been better if they, they could have heard me speak? He didn't just talk to hear his own voice. He wasn't offering up empty words. He blessed God. He praised Him. He worshipped Him. And this passage that we're going to pick up, it, it really falls in the middle of the context of, of this circumstance because this passage is what he said when God opened his mouth and loosed his tongue. And so as we read today, these are words from a heart swollen with joy. Swollen up and overflowing with excitement because he's seeing God at work. So let's pick it up in verse 67, where it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And so we've got to stop there because you need another couple of pieces of the puzzle. He is swollen up with excitement and joy. He is celebrating what God has done. He is wanting to praise and worship God. But on top of that, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't talk about that a lot in our circumstances, in our culture, but, but there's a reality that, that this role of the Holy Spirit is emphasized heavily by Luke. The third person of the Trinity is at work in the midst of the saving work of God. He is not silent. He's not distant from it. It's not like he's a, he's a secondary player. He is heavily working to, to bring illumination and, and understanding to God's work. Zechariah happens to be the third person in his family that's been filled by the Spirit. If you were to go back in the text, you'd see that Elizabeth was filled by the Spirit. In her sixth month, Mary comes to visit her. Mary's three months pregnant with the baby Jesus, right? So this unborn Savior being carried in her womb, he walks into her house, and the text tells us that the Spirit filled her. And she was able to understand that her Savior just was carried in the womb, was just carried into her house. 
And she begins to have understanding. It says that the baby leaped in her womb. And he gives, the Spirit gives her illumination, gives her understanding why John the Baptist just jumped. I mean, if you're a mom and you carried a baby, then, then you felt that in your womb. Well, the purposes for which babies move, I, I was actually told after the first service that they move because they're building muscle mass. Well, I didn't know that. I doubt Elizabeth understood that. And I don't even know, I guess it's right. Maybe it's right. But she was shown by the Holy Spirit exactly what caused him to leap. It wasn't about building muscle mass. It wasn't about, about just he's alive and so he's you know, trying to get comfortable up in there and, and my legs are cramped and i got to stretch out a little bit. And, and oh wait, I, I'd rather be head down than, than... It's not that. His Savior, this baby it says was also in the womb, in utero. This baby was filled with the Spirit and he recognizes his coming King, his, his Savior. He recognizes is brought into the house and he responds with joy. Now Zechariah is really the last one. The last one in his family is filled with the Spirit and now proclaiming and, and, and prophesying, speaking truth. And, and that would be the second thing I want you to see is that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So the words that he about, he's about to say are God's words, speaking about God's work. And, it, and he prophesied. Now a lot of people in the, in the commentaries are like, well, you know, it doesn't really mean he prophesied. No, he prophesied. He prophesied. He was the mouthpiece of God, having been filled by the Holy Spirit, and he spoke of God's work in the past tense and then speaks and predicts God's, God's work in the future tense, what's coming, what's going to happen. He is full out prophesying. This priest, Zechariah, in this moment, becomes a prophet to speak on behalf of God. And so these words of joy and celebration are inspired by God himself. And this is what he says. Pick it up back in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to re remember the holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve them without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, now this is the first time he has already begun to speak. He is praising God and he hasn't once mentioned his son. He's not excited and overjoyous simply because he's the, the son, yes, but, but because God is working more. And so in verse 76 and 77 is really the only reference at all to John the Baptist in this passage. And you, child, will be called the, the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John, your role is important, it's vital, it's necessary. But John, your role is not about you. It's about the one you go before. And so even as he mentions his son, he's praising God and, 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 and celebrating the coming Savior. And because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew, and this brings us back into the narrative talking about John. The child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. But I want us just to spend time thinking about what Zechariah has said. One of the most powerful to me to me to this point, it's my, my favorite point of this of this chapter, not, not that it's not all good, don't don't hear me saying that, but Zechariah has something to say. And we need to hear it. We desperately need to hear his words. We desperately need to hear this prophecy and this song of salvation. Salvation is the thread that is woven all the way through this. And and there are so many pieces here. There are so many examples, so many things at work in this. We we could truly spend weeks on this. But but we're going to hit some big points. I would encourage you this week. I, I would just encourage you to sit down this week. And in your time of devotion and prayer, I would encourage you to just let your eyes rest on the words that he says. Let, let your mind just, just dwell on it. Just think on it. Consider it. Weigh it. Breathe it in. Breathe in the truths of God's work and salvation and, and enjoy the fruits that, that are demonstrated there. I would encourage you in your community groups to, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to, to point one another to the saving work of God. That, 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 that all of the threads of this, I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's there's, there's thread upon thread upon thread that are being woven together. And in the image that's revealed on this tapestry is the saving work of our God and Savior. The, the God who chose to create and then chose to save, His, His image is being depicted. His saving work is being revealed. We so desperately need to hear it. We so desperately need to be reminded of it. Because what we don't think of often is that every one of us, every single person that has ever drawn breath longs for a Savior. In the depths of who we are, we know something is wrong in the world. There's no one that doesn't think that there's something wrong. We see it everywhere we turn. We, we, we try to compensate for it ourselves. We, we seek to find salvation in, uh, in, in achievements. Like if I just get enough things done, I will have arrived. We, we seek salvation in the right relationships. If, if I become a husband or wife or a, a father, if I, become, if, I become the, if I have the right number of friends or the, or the right friends, if, if I have the right relationships, then, then I will have arrived. If I have the right stuff, if I can accumulate the right amount of wealth, if I can feed my flesh with the right amount of things, then I will have arrived. We're saving ourselves. We're just trying to right what's wrong in the world. We're seeking salvation in those things. We need to be reminded, we need to hear afresh that, that salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from God. I think if you consider the, 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 the ways that we're entertained today, as I think about this, I can't help but think about the Marvel movies with all the superheroes and and entertainers know, I mean, they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars off, off of our desire for a Savior. And so they write movies and, and stories that have the, the hero 
who we love, the Batman and the Iron Man and the, and the Incredible Hawks, you know, that, that, are, that are there. We love them and they're fighting for justice and, 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 and standing for good and, and defeating evil. And we love them. We, we're enthralled with them. And we, we, we go and we pour out our money to, to just for a few hours just be at peace. Just to be able to let things go. See, I think they get it that, that all of us, we, we have this intrinsic desire to be saved. It's at the heart of so many of our stories and, and tragedies. When you think about it, tragedies where there is no Savior, like, like the movie, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, there's no Savior in that movie, and the boy ends up dying, and the, and the movie ends, and it's this tragic moment, and you just feel empty, and it's like all the things that are wrong in the world are demonstrated in this movie. It's terrible. If you haven't seen it, I just ruined it for you. I'm sorry. Don't, I, I just, it's, oh, it's hard. We feel good when the movie ends well. Because we all have a longing for the movie to end well. And we fight so hard to save ourselves. We stand and face the wave upon wave upon wave in the tides of difficulty and trial one right after the other. As one clears the beach, the other one is coming to wash over us. crests and falls upon us. Trouble and trial continuing to come. We just think if we could get our circumstances right, if we could just control things right, if we could just do the right things, but we don't have enough power or foresight to escape those waves. We climb, we climb on treadmills that feed our sense of purposelessness. Oh, if I just achieve the right goals and, and we pursue it and we run on that treadmill, we climb on that treadmill and that treadmill begins to run us because what happens is we achieve that goal and then there's another mountain to climb, another box to check, another thing to be done. Oh, but now if I could just climb this one, if I could just do this thing, that, that, would, that would fix it. Okay, I was wrong about that one, but this would fix it. Worse yet, some of us actually climb on that treadmill thinking that we're the savior of those around us. If we just run fast enough, achieve enough for them, that we can do what they can't do. We need to hear these words of salvation. We need to be reminded today that, 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 that what the world of entertainment can try to substitute, what we are constantly trying to fill the void in, what our hearts resonate with in these stories, is that we, we have a longing for a Savior. And everything we do is simply running on a treadmill. And all we can do is endure. All we can do is hang on until that point of death. Because there comes a moment for every last one of us that the treadmill keeps running and we can't keep up. We fall down and we die. And there's not a person that escapes that in this world. But every person in this world faces the same difficulty, faces the same reality. What happens then. What happens? What hope do I have? What confidence can I see? What, what in the world? 
can I count on? That is what Zechariah is telling us in this psalm. God alone. God alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, was, and always will be the only one who can and will. He's willing to provide salvation for sinners like you and me. He alone. That is the theme of this song. That is the theme of this prophecy is that God has done this work. He has desired to do this work. It speaks of His mercy motivating Him, moving Him, compelling Him, His compassion and His concern and His desire for our good, His desire for justice and rightness. Compelling him to move, his building desire in him to take action. He is willing and he is able. He is powerful enough to do it. He's he's showing us throughout the whole thing that God has done this work by his power. And we see it unfold in so many ways. Let me just point out just a few. God makes salvation possible. By coming to us as Christ. In verse 68, he starts singing. He starts prophesying. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That's who he's blessing. That's who he's praising. For he has visited. He has come. He has arrived at the doorstep of our house. He's shown up. He is here. That is drastically different than any other thing, any other perspective, any other work, any other religion. Everything else is about us coming or, or going somewhere, achieving something, going and to, to some person or to some God. Every world religion is about us finding the way. God made salvation possible by coming to us. From the Old Testament perspective, from looking at it as, as they would have in this time, looking back at the Old Testament text and, 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 and thinking about all that was said about the Savior that's coming, about the One who was to come and provide salvation, about Him coming near. And in Zechariah's time, I mean, he's standing there in this present moment thinking of the future birth that is to happen. He is coming and now we look back with the benefit of the New Testament perspective, knowing that that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the one who put on flesh and dwelt among us. He visited us. He didn't expect us to come to him. He came to us first. And we've always flipped it around. We flip it around in our minds all the time. We've got to find our way to God. No, God found his way to you. Believe in Him. Believe in the Christ that came. And now in this moment, right here and right now, we sit in this place where the Savior has come and He's coming again. But in between, He's not left us alone. The Scripture teaches us that He has indwelt us, that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. Peter talks about us being built together as a spiritual house, that we might be the dwelling place of God. That we would be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. That is what he's doing. And he is residing in us. He has not left us alone. And now his spirit is preparing us 
sealing us for the moment to come, making us ready for our returning Savior and our coming King. He has come to you. And God, by doing that, made salvation available. God makes salvation possible by buying our freedom in Christ. Again, in verse 68, he says, For he has visited and redeemed his people. Redeemed, it's a, it's a powerful, it's an important word. It's a word that would refer to buying someone out of slavery. There's a lot of imagery here built out of the idea of Israel being redeemed out of Egypt. Egypt, or I'm sorry, Israel had been in bondage. They were in slavery. They were, they were being held in Egypt, essentially, and they were not being allowed to let go, to be let go. And, and, and God sends Moses in, and Moses, let my people go. You know, you've seen the movie. And, and so Pharaoh's like, no. And he says, let my people go. And he says, no. And, and God says, oh, you won't let them go? Well, here's some signs. Remember those signs? We don't always want them, but God worked. Ten plagues he brings on them, and eventually the people go. God redeemed them. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. The idea is, is, that, is that, that every one of us are in bondage to sin. We are enslaved to our sin. We don't recognize it. We don't think that. We don't, well, no, I'm doing all this by... No, no, your nature has bound you up in your sin. In Colossians, it talks, or not in Colossians, in Proverbs 5, it talks about that the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. Ensnare us. They, they bind us. In fact, it goes on to say that, that, that he, is bound, he, he is bound up in the cords of his sin. We are in bondage in sin, enslaved to it, and by Christ we are freed from it. There's another perspective is that it's not just about being freed from slavery, but it's about being, uh, being our debt being paid. The, the, the debt would have been incurred, and, and the person wouldn't have been able to pay, and, and they would have been put in prison. And so, so, so in Christ, God pays the debt. We, we get debt, right? We understand what debt is. We, we have mortgages. We have, have house payments and rent, and, and, and we have car payments. A credit card debt is a, is a crazy thing that we strap on ourselves in this culture. We, we have debt. We understand debt. But, but what, we, what we can't get is, that, hey, we're just going to keep paying payments on it. Eventually, we'll get it paid off. And this is a debt you'll never get paid off. You'll never earn enough money to pay this debt. It's a price that's too high for you to pay. It's an amount too great for you to earn enough. But God paid your debt. Have you ever paid something off? Have you ever felt the weight of that kind of disappear? Ooh, that feels good. That's what he's done in Christ for your debt in sin. You are debt free before him. God makes salvation possible by buying our freedom in Christ. God makes salvation possible by winning our battles by Christ. This, is, this begins to, to draw in rich, deep theological Old Testament imagery. He says in verse 69, he says, and has raised up, so God's visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us. That horn of salvation is in reference to animals who are horned. They use their horns, uh, their, their, their horns are strong and their horns are their defense and their horns are their offense. They're images of, of being, uh, of strength. And, and this is directly a, a direct reference to David when God would defend him and win battles for him against Saul. 
In fact, in Psalm 18, 2, it says this, David writing in, in remembrance of God's work on his behalf and protecting him from Saul, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. There is a war raging. We can't always see it. We see the evidence of it at times around us, but, but we lose sight of it often. And you and I don't have the technical skills. We don't have the strategy. We don't have the ability. We can't go start taking karate. We can't pick up sword fighting. We, we cannot defend ourselves and we can't vanquish our foes. But we know one who can. The truth is, is that this war in many ways has not even got anything to do with you. You just happen to be experiencing all the junk that goes with destruction. We feel it, and apart from Christ, that's all we have, is an enemy who doesn't care a lick about us, but longs for our destruction, simply so he can rob glory from the God who is creator. But God, just being rich in mercy, has provided salvation. He has raised up a horn of salvation. He, is, he has given us our defense and He has given us our offense, a strong and powerful uh, 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 strategy. In fact, in Romans 8.37, in Christ we become conquerors. Paul writes, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He has provided us the, the, the win. He has made us conquerors by His power in his might jesus is the horn of our salvation but god makes salvation possible by winning our battles by christ god makes salvation possible by fulfilling his promises through christ again another deep and rich passage that's connected directly to the old testament we see covenants being fulfilled promises that god had made First, he speaks of, of David, and he says that he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That's in verse 69, and it's making reference to the promises to David that he'd made. He would promised David that his, his throne would be established, that his line would, would reign forever. And in the near term, it looks like it's going to be Solomon, right? I mean, in the, in the near term, it seems like, oh, he's got another king that's following him. And, and, and just kind of think through the story. David had, David had wanted to build a temple for God's glory. He wanted to build God a house. He's like, hey, I got something to do. I'm going to, I'm going to build you a house. I'm in a castle, and you're in a tent, and I, I think you deserve a house. And God says, that's not for you, David. There's too much blood on your hands but I will establish your throne forever. I will establish a king in your line that will reign forever. And so Solomon, it looks like Solomon's it. You know, his son is on the throne. His son builds a temple. It's looking great. Everything's on the up and up. Man, this is going to be awesome. And then Solomon's sin ultimately divides Israel in two. And what started off seemingly with all promises and everything flowing out, comes to a screeching halt. Solomon couldn't be it. But if you think back to what's been said already about Jesus being of the line of David, we see our king that sits on a throne forever. He 
is it. He is the fulfillment of that covenant. Then he goes on in verse 73, he goes on, he says, the oath that he swore, speaking about God, the promise that God swore to our father Abraham. Do you remember the promise he made to Abraham? Do you you remember the covenant he entered into with Abraham? That through him, one would be born that would bless everyone. That that he would have a son of promise and, and that all nations would be blessed through his line. That he would have descendants as great as the sand on the seashore and, and, and the stars in the sky. And there would be countless, but there would be one. There would be one through whom everyone would be blessed. And yeah, if you remember the story, Abraham and, I, Abraham and Sarah, they, they were unable, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were unable to have children. And in their old age, God visits them and says, you are going to have a child. He will be a son. Everything looks great. Isaac's born. We got a son, and, and here it's, it's going to happen. But, but, but Isaac didn't bless all the nations, except that he stood in the line for the one to come. And, and Paul clears it up for us in Galatians. In Galatians 3.16, he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to oft springs, referring to many. So it wasn't, it wasn't Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and all that came after him. The promises were made to one, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the one in whom this promise is made complete. So we get this picture God is providing salvation by fulfilling His promises. He's the promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-fulfilling God. He makes the promises. They come at His word and by His design. He is the one that initiates them. He is the one that determines that He can make them. And promise-keeping, He actually is coming. He's bringing them to pass. He's bringing them to completion. And promise-fulfilling, meaning that He's not looking to you to do that work for Him. He is fulfilling it by His own means. He is doing the work. He came to pay our price to do what we couldn't do. He is fulfilling the work for us. God makes salvation possible by fulfilling His promises. God makes salvation known. He makes it known. By the power of his spirit through the mouths of his prophets. Verse 70, it, it refers to this. It says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. You know why we're sitting here in a room studying his scripture? Because he didn't leave us to wonder. He empowered people by his spirit in his power to go and proclaim the truth. From an Old Testament perspective, really, truly, since the time that man and woman had fallen into sin, from the moment that they had eaten the fruit and recognized their own sin and their own nakedness and shame and their covering up of themselves, and he comes and they, and, and to, to see them and they hide from him, and, and he calls out and they come out and he says, what's going on? Why, why are you hiding? And, and, and they let it out. In, in that moment, in that exchange, God is already promising salvation he is already depicting it for them in the killing of an animal and covering them with the skins of its, uh, 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 making clothes out of its skins. 
And he is telling them that one is coming who will save you, who will crush the head of the serpent, and who, who the serpent will bite his heel, but he'll crush the head of the serpent. He's prophesying it already. And then he, he, doesn't, he doesn't stop talking. He empowers people in the, in the process. He says, he says to Isaiah, you're going to prophesy here. Speak. And Isaiah speaks, and he prophesies. And he says to Jeremiah, here, speak. And Jeremiah speaks. And, and here's the thing is it doesn't stop in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. We have, we have Zechariah who's now prophesying, who's making what God is doing known. And even John the Baptist, it says, you, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. We are still enjoying the, the, the message that John the Baptist had to preach. He went before the Christ calling out and saying, this is Him in fulfillment of prophecy. Pointing to the one who had come to bring salvation. And so many, so many have followed to say, look at Jesus. Maybe not prophets in the Old Testament sense, maybe not exactly prophets in this sense, but still given the message to speak, God has made salvation known. You see, He's provided it by His power through His working, and He has made it known. We don't have to sit here any longer wondering and curious. We don't have to, we don't have to drum up ways to save ourselves because God has made known His salvation. He's made known the hope of our salvation. I mean, the end of this passage, he says, he says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So there's your role, John. That's what you're to do. And to give knowledge of salvation to his people. We have this knowledge. We have this hope of, of forgiveness and sins because people have gone and said, he has come. Because of the tender mercy of our God, he goes on in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. Again, making, uh, making an allusion towards, uh, alluding to, I'm sorry, alluding to the, the coming of the Savior. There's light peeking over the horizon. The sun is just about to peek out over the horizon, and, and it's, He's on His way. He's coming. The sunrise is occurring, and the, and the beauty of, it, of His coming is ahead of us. And just imagine what it looks like as the purples and the, and the pinks and the, and the clouds are illuminated and the, and the shadows begin to fall away you see that's what he says he says the sunrise shall visit us and to give light to those who sit in darkness the shadow of death death the the the, the shadow that looms over us of death that great and final that great and final trial that we all face the shadow that looms over every last one of us It, it can't hang over us anymore because the light has shone into the darkness and removed the shadow from his people. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Because of Christ, it is gone. It, it, it can't rule over us. It can't, it can't harm us. It can't take away anything from us because the light of our Savior has, has peaked over the horizon and has removed our, our discontentedness. And to guide our feet into the way of peace, this hope of peace, this, this knowing that at some point all, all trial and difficulty and hardship and, and tension and conflict, all of it ends. All the things that separate us, they're gone. So that, so that sheep lay down with wolves and, and, and children play over the holes of a, of a snake. That nothing is dangerous anymore. Nothing is hurtful anymore. It's coming because of Christ. 
It's coming in Christ. Our purpose and service before the Lord no longer on a treadmill of purposelessness, but in Christ, in salvation, we have been told that, 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 that the fear is gone. There's no reason to fear Him because we can serve before Him in righteousness and holiness all the days of our life. From here on out, our life's being filled with the knowledge that we have been redeemed and reconciled unto God, giving purpose before God. We can know it because God has made it known by the power of His Spirit through the working of His Son. He, he has provided and He has made known His salvation. And because He has, because He has done it, we can enjoy it. We need to be reminded that our salvation, our hope, our certainty is it's wrapped up in the, in the salvation that comes from God. Blessed be the Lord our God. For He has come to us and redeemed His people. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Your work on our behalf. We are grateful for the things that You do for us that we obviously couldn't do ourselves that we try to accomplish on our own and find fruitless in the end. Grateful, Father, for your salvation. And Father, I would ask in this moment, through your Spirit, that you would fill us. That the hearts of every believer in this room would swell with joy. Would swell with, with admiration and awe. We'd be filled to overflowing that, that we would, we like Zechariah, would have to speak and cry out praises to you. Fathers, show us. Show us and fill us with the hope of our salvation, the certainty of it. May we breathe it in. May we see the tapestry. May we gaze on it and celebrate because of it. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.